Well, we'd like to invite any children here between kindergarten and second grade to be dismissed to Children's Church. I'd like to welcome the rest of you to the Tiki Tiki Room here at South Shore Baptist. Uh, actually, kind of fitting. Uh, not only is it uh, vacation Bible, oh, there we go. not only is it vacation Bible School week, but uh, the last two Sundays we've had visiting missionary speakers. So I suppose this is kind of like a missions theme. I, I suppose sort of a, a foreign look to. Uh, we have a very special guest today. His name is Darren Prince, and uh, he is one of our supported missionaries. He's uh, the husband of Pam Prince. Uh, many of you know her, Pam Visser. She grew up in this church, and her parents and grandparents and they go back more generations here than there was a church. So they go way back. And Pam grew up in this church. And uh, when she got out of college, she got involved in homeless ministry in Boston. And then uh, she knew Darren from college, at Wheaton College. And he was involved with homeless ministry in uh, San Francisco. And they kind of did it on and off. And I'm not going to go into all the vicissitudes of your relationship. It's a long saga. It's a long saga. <laughs> Uh, worthy of telling, but uh, uh, anyway, they, they they sort of God brought them together, and they fell in love, and got married, and had a baby, and ministered the homeless together in San Francisco. And uh, we've been supporting you guys for like what, two, three, four years? Four years, something like that. Yeah. And uh, awesome, awesome ministry they have out there. So it's just a, a blessing to have him here to speak. Not only is he great at uh, uh, ministering to the homeless, not only does he have a heart for those who are in the outer circle of society, but He's an incredible communicator, a great writer. He's sort of the whole package. He's got the whole deal. So um, without further ado, I don't know if I built you enough up enough. That's, yeah. Now what do I you do? You can only go downhill from here. I know. <laughs> if I need to, I'll hide behind the, yeah, the that's right. lava yeah. mountain. Yeah, and when it goes off, that means your time's up. Right, yeah, okay. <laughs> that's good. Thanks. thanks. Right. Well, thanks a lot for uh, letting me come and, and share with you guys this morning. And um, we, like Jeremy said, we have been really blessed by you guys, uh, this congregation, for the last four years and being able to serve in the city of San Francisco with a lot of your prayer and support and encouragement. And um, it's just a, it's a lot of fun to be able to do what we do. I don't know if any of you have uh, first through fifth grade kids here in the church, but when we were here at, at, at Missions Conference back in March... We got to share with some of those kids, and I actually wanted to give the kids a little bit of a taste of what it would be like to be homeless, because um, we were talking a lot about what, what we do in San Francisco, and so I actually brought a couple card, a big cardboard box with me, and had each of the kids take a turn, kind of crawling into the cardboard box to see what it was like to, to sleep in it. So for any of you that, you know, if I started something that I really shouldn't have, and your kid is sleeping in a cardboard box still... That would be my fault, and I'm sorry about that. But I did feel like maybe some of the adults would want to do that too, so I brought it with me in case you guys want to come through and sleep in the cardboard box for a second just to get a feel. No, I'm just kidding. But what I want to do this morning is give you um, a little bit of that kind of feel of what might it be like to crawl into that cardboard box and kind of experience life as a homeless person on the streets of San Francisco. I don't know how many of you have been to San Francisco but we're a really peculiar town in that we're one of the wealthiest cities in the United States. But if you walk the streets, even through some of the more uh, upscale downtown areas, you are literally stepping over homeless people sleeping in the alleyways and in the doorways of the, of the fancy shops and restaurants. So um, it's estimated that we have at least 5,000, maybe even 7,000 homeless people on the streets in Golden Gate Park, 
um, literally scattered around the whole city and all of our neighborhoods. And uh, Pam and I have spent four years building relationships with kind of the younger population of, of that homeless crowd, uh, really focusing on runaway teenagers and kids that have been kicked out of homes or out of foster care and are on the streets. And most of them are drug addicted and or mentally ill in some way. And um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about what that's like. But I, w- the first thing I thought I'd explain is Jeremy asked if, uh, if, I, could, if, if I could preach, where would, I, where would I take us? And I thought I could pick up in Isaiah, but I want to I leave that for him. But what I'm going to do is actually uh, look at a, a, a passage in Luke with sort of a reflection on Isaiah, sort of looking backwards. When we were flying here, um, I noticed when you look out the airplane, you can kind of see things from a different perspective. And you guys have been doing sort of a drive-through of Isaiah, up, up close, slow, uh, looking verse by verse. If Jeremy went any slower, it'd probably be a walk-through of Isaiah. And uh, I'm going I'm to take us up in the airplane uh, through the Gospel of Luke and just sort of look down, taking a, a broader survey of some of the themes in Isaiah through the vehicle of Luke chapter 14. So I'm in Luke 14 which is page 1034 in your pew Bible. And there's also notes in your, in your bulletin this morning. We're going to take a look at some of the themes in Isaiah from the vantage point of Luke 14. And in Luke 14, Jesus is actually having dinner at a Pharisee's house. And this is not just a Pharisee, but a prominent Pharisee. And he and, and his disciples are sharing a meal together with some of the big wigs of, um, of Jewish culture at the time. Okay, some of the, some of the know-it-alls, some of the wealthier folks. And uh, Jesus launches into kind of a lesson on dinner etiquette. That's what I like to call it. So they're, they're there, and, and Jesus goes in, into this, starting in verse 7 of Luke 14. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table... He told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. When you look at this, Jesus' description of life in the kingdom of God starts at the dinner table. Um, It could be really grandiose, but he, he starts really basic. He says, you know what, it comes down to a matter of where you sit. Do you, do you pick the position of honor, or do you, do you pick the lower position? And, and, you know, this is about dinner and dinner etiquette and so on, but it's, it's kind of not about that at all. It's really about all of life. Life in the kingdom of God is about having this kind of attitude, this kind of posture. Um, it's in our good nature to, to take the good stuff for ourselves, isn't it? When I was growing up, uh, we always had this battle for the good bread. You ever do this? You open up the bag of bread... And you kind of you thumb past the, the first couple of slices, you know, the heel and the, and the second part past the heel. You kind of reach deep into the bag. Did anybody else do this? Some of you are looking at me like, 
Okay, I'm seeing some nods. You reach past into the middle of the loaf and take out the good slice for yourself, right? So we were always doing this when I, when I grew up. The other thing is we had a spot on the couch. We had one of those L kind of couches when I was a kid. And we were all, my brothers and sisters and I were always fighting over that one spot right in the middle where the L came together. That was the special spot. And Saturday mornings we would wake up my parents fighting over the special spot. Okay, we have, a, we have a tendency in human nature to, um, to, to want the good place for ourselves, don't we? I mean, whether it's parking spots or, uh, you know, the, the, the good place at the table. And Jesus recognizes that, and he takes a look around here at this dinner with the Pharisees, and he sees that people were kind of jockeying for position. And so his advice is actually really practical. He says, you know what, the, when you have the attitude of the kingdom of God, this kingdom that I'm, that I'm bringing about, not just in the future, but here and now, you're going to take the posture of taking the lower place. And you know what? If you, if you deserve something better, then my justice will allow for that. So um, yeah, another example of this would be, have you ever, you know, you, you want that, if you're not driving the car, you want that seat next to the driver, what people call a shotgun, right? So, so everyone, you know, when I was a teenager, at least people would, would shout shotgun before we were even out in the parking lot, right? You finish the meal, the check isn't even paid, shotgun, so you can sit right up next. See, we're always kind of vying for that spot. And Jesus says, you know what, that's not the attitude of someone who's a part of my kingdom. And it's not really about where you sit at dinner, it's about your posture in life. And I realize that this, this kind of theme is, is picked up in Isaiah, and you may have already looked at that when you, in your sort of slow drive through Isaiah. In Isaiah 2, and I, it, you'll notice that I put some of these references down at the bottom of your, of your handouts. I'm not going to go through them all this morning, but it's, if, you wanna, if you feel like doing some homework this week, you can kind of go back through and connect my talk with, with some of these passages in Isaiah. But in Isaiah 2, 11 and 12, it says, The eyes of the arrogant man will be humbled, and the pride of men brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. In Isaiah 14, uh, Isaiah says to Babylon, All your pomp has been brought down to the grave, along with the noise of your harps. Maggots are spread out beneath you, and worms cover you. I love that image. And that's the image of the, the, the person who exalts himself being brought low. Charles Spurgeon has a great quote that I put on the back of your notes that says, Every Christian has the choice between being humble and being humbled. So Jesus is at this dinner party, and uh, he notices that this is going on, and he feels like he should address it, because it's bigger than just that party, it's about all of life. We have the choice to choose the high position and be humbled, or from the beginning to choose the lower position in life, in each daily setting, and to be invited to move up. And I can illustrate this really personally from my own sense of calling and direction. When I went off to Wheaton College, um, I, my plan was to be the next Chuck Swindoll. That's, that's what I wanted to do. I had grown up in his church, and I knew that I was called to ministry, and so I felt like what that was going to look like for me was I would be uh, at, a, at a really large, plush, suburban church, um, preaching, selling a lot of books, 
um, getting things out on the radio, kind of the, 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 the speaker preacher personality. That was my ambition. And I went off to college, and I was, gonna, I was headed to Dallas Seminary, and I was going to do my thing and be the next Chuck Swindoll. And somewhere in the, in the midst of going to college and realizing what the rest of the world was like and, and all of the different ways that God had wired me and designed me, um, I realized that I was called to take, to take a lower place, to, to be a no-name among the poor and the homeless in San Francisco. And I don't want to say that in the sense that if you, if you end up in Swindoll's position, that that's somehow bad. But for me, it was a matter of ambition. The, the place that I had pictured of for myself was a place of being exalted, being popular, being a personality. And God had to humble me and say, no, I, I actually want you over here. I want you to be a pastor, but not someone who's in the pulpit all the time, someone who's living life among the, the sheep, and, and especially in a place like San Francisco where there are so few pastors or shepherds who care for the flock. And so I had to kind of do an about-face. But it, for me, it was an experience of setting my ambitions really high and realizing that God had something else in store, which was a lesser seat. The interesting thing is that because of the place that I've taken in life in the kingdom, I've been invited to speak different places that I never would have before if I had kind of angled my way into a pastor's job. Youth groups and different churches. And, and b- because we're, we're doing our work among the poor in San Francisco and befriending those who are fatherless, uh, we, we are actually invited to speak and to share and to, to be a light to the rest of the church in a way that is actually... Uh, more powerful than if I had just sort of made my way into being a pastor. So it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting turn of events. Well, I could imagine that somebody at, at this dinner party that Jesus was at was probably thinking, you know what, this is fine, I will take the lower position, but fortunately I don't ever have any uh, poor people or lower class people at my party, so I'm not, not ever going to have to worry about this. And Jesus addresses this, too. He actually, he, he looks right at the host. This is in verse, verse 12. He says, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the, li- the lame, and the blind and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So Jesus says, you know, it's not really so much about where you sit. It's that, but it's also who you invite to begin with. Okay, it's, um, this, this is what my kingdom should be about. He, he's describing his, his, his society that he wants to set up. Not just, not just later when we all die, but here on earth. Hey, you know what? Everyone is invited to this table. It's not just the people with access. It's not just the people with wealth or knowledge or education. When you, invite a, when you have a party, I want you to invite the people that can't make it there on their own. The, the blind, the lame, those who have to literally be led or dragged to, to, to the kingdom. Uh, I have the saying that, that Christians, at least in San Francisco, I don't know if this is true here, but in San Francisco, Christians are often labeled as the people who don't. 
Do you know what I mean? We don't drink or smoke or dance or go to movies or play cards or all those things that we supposedly don't do, right? And we're known by our prohibitions. At least that's, in San Francisco, that's kind of the image that people have of Christians. And I often say, why is it that we're not identified as the people who do? Um, couldn't, couldn't we be identified as the people of God, the followers of Christ, as the people who do invite the poor into our homes, to our dinner table? Couldn't we be identified as the people who care for their neighbors? Shouldn't someone be able to look at someone caring for a widow and say, you know what, that's probably a Christian, because those Christians are like that. I, I, I want to see a place in a society where Christians are identified by the people as the people who do and not just as the people who don't. What we're for instead of what we're against. And I think that's what Jesus, Jesus is talking about here as he shares this dinner with the Pharisees. He looks around and he says, you know, when you, when you throw a party, I want you to invite the poor. I want you to invite those outside that, of your circle of influence that you wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable inviting. And I think what's interesting is the world is often the, the exact same way. They, they, they don't follow these rules that Jesus kind of sets up as a, as a good life in the kingdom. I have a, a great example of this because last uh, Labor Day, I got the chance to join a friend of mine who was working for a catering business at this really large party in San Francisco. And I didn't realize this at the time, but the largest private residence in San Francisco is not too far away from where Pam and I live, interestingly enough. And um, this guy is a wealthy former advertising agent who just has gobs and gobs of money. And he throws a big, huge Labor Day party every year and invites all of the San Francisco glitterati, you know, famous wealthy people that he can to come to this party. And so my job for the day, just because I, I wanted to do it for the day just for the sheer experience of being around um, this crowd and seeing what it was like. And so my job for the day was to, to stand in this little um, dessert, dessert tent in this guy's backyard and set little chocolate truffles on these silver platters for the entire day. And there were tons of chocolate truffles, a bunch of different kinds. I couldn't even tell which was which. And people all day were coming by, oh, what's this one? What's this one? And I didn't, I didn't know. You know. I just kind of said, well, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. That's, maybe that's lemon, that's hazelnut, I don't know. But my job, my job for the day was to set tro uh, chocolate truffles on these silver platters while literally the, the wealthiest and most recognizable San Franciscans came by. The mayor, all of the, the potential mayoral candidates, the chief of police, um, famous people that happened to live in the city, they were all there for this big Labor Day event. Uh, the guy had hired Mickey Rooney, who actually still is alive, to come... <laughs> Barely, to, to come and sing in his backyard as the entertainment for the afternoon. And uh, so Mickey Rooney's there doing his thing, and we're all there. And, and what I realized was, those of us who were sort of in the serving class for the day, were on our feet from 7 in the morning until, you know, 5 in the afternoon, no break, uh, just kind of doing our thing all day long. And I looked around and I noticed who was at this party and who wasn't. And you know what was really interesting was when the day had finally come to a close and I went kind of back behind the house to finally get some food, we sort of got the, the leftover cold scraps of what these people had eaten um, all day long out in the afternoon sun on Labor Day. 
And I look around in this back kitchen, and, and there's just a bunch of us who had been working all day, sort of sitting, sort of shoveling food into our mouths over our laps. And it's, and it's you know, Mexicans and me and a couple other guys, and, and people, people who did not look at all like those who had just been feasting all day on their chocolate truffles. And I don't want to set up an economics thing. It's not that. But what I realized was, here's a picture. This is what society is like. This is, this is truly how it is sometimes. Is that the rich have their parties, and, and those who, um, who, who never make it to these kinds of parties are, are just kind of serving it. And Jesus says, you know what? That's, that's not how I want things. And Isaiah kind of points to that too. In Isaiah 3:14, he says, It is you who have ruined my vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor? In other words, why are you leaving, why are you leaving the poor out of the banquet? When you have a party, why is, it all the, why is it all the famous people that show up? Isaiah 10, uh, you guys talked about this probably. Isaiah 10, 1 through 2. Woe to those who make unjust laws. To those who issue oppressive decrees, who deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless, what will you do on the day of reckoning? Um, Isaiah is pointing to a different way of life, a different kind of society where, where um, right is made wrong and the justice of God prevails, where everyone is equally invited to the banquet, to the dinner table. And Jesus is, is referring to Isaiah when he goes into this. He says, look, this is what my kingdom should be about. Um, the, the positive example of what this could be like as a church is uh, Pam and I have gotten involved with First Baptist Church of San Francisco. And what's really interesting is for decades they've had this dinner on Wednesday nights that's kind of just a potluck for church, for church folks. And because uh, there were Bible studies on Wednesday nights and choir practice and so on. And so um, they would just provide a meal. Well, the word got out about a year or two ago, uh, and homeless people started showing up for this dinner, because the church is real centrally located right in the middle of town. And what I love about this church is that instead of figuring out how to get rid of the homeless people because they were some kind of problem to, uh, to eliminate, they said, well, if this is who's showing up for our dinner, how can we make it a more inviting place? And so they asked Pam and I this year, back in January, to kind of help guide that transition into making this not just a homeless feeding where people line up and we slop food on their plates and they sit down and eat, but how do we make this a place where the homeless are really welcomed? So now we've got this really great mix of people on Wednesday nights at this church. It's the church folks on their way to Bible study and choir practice, and it's the homeless coming in, and we're all kind of sharing the table together. And it's, and it's just an awesome picture of what the kingdom is like. And it's not, like again, as I've said before, it's not just the future kingdom, it's the kingdom here on earth. When Jesus talks about this stuff, he's saying, you know what, this is a picture of heaven, but it's also right, this is possible right now. And it's probably worth just thinking, who are the people that I either consciously or unconsciously exclude um, from, from my parties or from my dinner table that I could really easily include. And I said consciously or unconsciously because I don't think it's, I really don't think that a lot of us sit down and say, well, how can I leave so-and-so out? But often we just don't give a thought to how these, some, some folks are just lonely and left out by society 
And it's just a simple matter of being a people who invite them to the table. Inviting them over to your house for dinner. Inviting them here to, to church for some kind of social event. Or for a church service. Or, or you know, th- There are probably kids that go to school with your kids who would love to just be in your house on occasion because they need a taste of what that, that kind of family is like. Um, th- there are probably elderly people in, in this town who can't make it on their own to a service like this that just need an invite or need a hand getting here. But th- there are probably people in our mix um, who, who would love the invitation. And I guess part of what I love about Jesus is he realizes the power of an invitation. He says, when you throw a party, it's not just where you sit, it's also who you invite. And he illustrates that again because I think by the, at this point, I don't know how you guys are feeling, but the Pharisees that are listening to Jesus, I think are getting kind of red in the face because they're like, wait a minute, we invited this guy over for dinner and he's giving us a lecture on you know, justice and things being turned upside down and the poor being here. and I, I'm not really comfortable with that. And, and one of them tries to dodge it all together. Look at verse four, uh, 15 of Luke. Luke 14, 15. Uh, one of those at the table with him heard what Jesus had been saying, and he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And that sounds like a really great sort of passive saying, but I think he's trying to dodge the implications of what Jesus is talking about. So this Pharisee is saying, You know what, when we all die, it's not going to matter. We'll all be feasting together in heaven. And Jesus is saying, Wait a minute, hold on. This is not just about that life. It's about this one. This has direct implications for your life now. And so Jesus decides to tell a story. Starting in verse 16, he says, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought a, a, a five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Kind of a strange excuse to me, but... Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. So everyone's got their, their excuses, and this is sort of, to me, this is sort of an echo of what, what we heard in Isaiah chapter 6 about the uh, people being ever hearing but never understanding, being ever seeing but never perceiving, uh, making the, the hearts of the people callous, their ears dull and, and, and their eyes closed. In other words, Jesus, uh, God has handed people an invitation to the party and a lot of, a lot of them are making excuses. And Jesus says, you know what, the, the, the kingdom of God is going to be like that. I love this quote that I, that I put on the back of your notes there by Ben Gimran. It's the second one down. Isaiah declared that all political, military, and economic aspirations would fail as long as people were more concerned with protecting their own interests and with keeping their petty kingdoms alive without depending on the Lord and seeking his kingdom. I love that, that image of our petty, keeping our petty kingdoms alive. And these, these excuses here, they might be great excuses. They've been invited to a banquet and they say, you know what, 
I just, I just bought some land. I just, I, I took, I just bought a, a new car and I need to give it a test drive. You know, I just got married. Sorry, we're, uh, we're on our honeymoon or whatever. I think that we, we do. do. Do you recognize this in yourself? You, we tend to get distracted, don't we? We, we? we tend to start assuming that our, our business is more important, more significant than God's business. So look what happens in verse 21. After all the excuses happened, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant... Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Jesus paints an unexpected picture of the kingdom of God. He turns things upside down and says, you know what, what we expect the kingdom to be like is going to be really different. It's not just going to be the popular, the wealthy, the elite. In fact, some of those people are going to turn it down because they're too busy throwing their parties with their little chocolate truffles on the silver platters. He says, instead, we should invite the guy sleeping in the alley behind our house. And we should go even further. We should, find, we should find the guy downtown, like my friend Newt, who's got about four different colors in his hair, carries a guitar around with him. And I think his hair is happier than he is. He's kind of a sad guy. And every time I see him, I say, Hey, Newt, what's going on? He says, You know, same thing, different day. We decided that on Thanksgivings, Instead of doing the, doing the normal, traditional family thing, we would combine our family with all of our homeless friends. Because we realized some of these folks, they don't get home to see their family for Thanksgiving, and so they'd probably love to be invited. So we, we started going out, and we would do weeks in advance. You know, the, our homeless folks, I hate to break it to you, they don't have day timers, they don't have palm pilots. And so we have to invite them, and then kind of keep inviting them, reminding them, because they don't even know when Thursday is most of the time, let alone when Thanksgiving is. So weeks in advance, we would go out and tell people, hey, Thanksgiving is coming. Why don't you come to our house? We'll cook together. We're not doing the cooking for you. You have to make something too. So sometimes we'd invite people and say, hey, can you make a good pumpkin pie? They'd say, yeah, sure. All right, well, then you're coming to our house for Thanksgiving. Okay, it was the, it was the power of an invite. So when we ran into a guy like Newt, um, I'll never forget this. We said, hey, why don't you come to our place for Thanksgiving? We'd love to have you just kind of cook with us and hang out with us for the day. And he said, wow, no one's ever invited me over for dinner before. I mean, here's a 19-year-old kid strung out on heroin, living on the streets. And what ministered to him was not a real big fancy program or a government cause. It was just the power of an invite to dinner. That's the kind of kingdom that Jesus portrays as he's sitting with these Pharisees. He says, you know what? Some people are going to be distracted. Some people are going to show up. And I think you'll be surprised by who shows up. Because a lot of times, it's the ones that everyone else has forgotten 
that ends up making it to the banquet. I think that that picture of who shows up is kind of like the remnant that you've heard about in Isaiah. Those, those few who actually return and respond in, in, in response to God's grace and love. It's a new kind of remnant. It's a, it's a new group of people who show up for the banquet. That's why Pam and I love doing what we do. We get a taste of the kingdom of God here on earth. And I don't want to set this up as we're, you know, we're doing some kind of heroic thing that, that only missionaries supported by the church can do. I truly believe that you guys can, can do this kind of stuff too. And it doesn't have to be with, with homeless hippies strung out on heroin. It, it can be people in your neighborhoods, in your circles, in your workplace um, who, are, who are overlooked and ignored by your fellow workers or by your community. There's probably a guy uh, in the lunchroom every day who eats alone, and it's as simple as inviting him over to be at your table. Um, there's probably a, a student where you go to school who would love to, to be befriended by a Christian who does rather than a Christian who doesn't. And I think that's the kind of life that Jesus invites us all to. You don't have to be a professional at it. I think what we've discovered is that as we love people the way Jesus invites us to love, um, we receive a lot of grace. We receive a, a, a lot of blessing from living the life that we do. And it's really fun. I'll tell you what, it is really fun to have Thanksgiving Day with a bunch of homeless people. They are so grateful. And uh, it's chaotic. I was, I was just thinking um, of, of a time when I, I kind of took the lesser place because we had so many people at Thanksgiving dinner one year that the, the table itself was just crowded, elbow to elbow. And uh, all the seats had been taken, so I ended up kind of sitting in the corner with, like, and all of our plates had been used, so I, I was eating out of a, a pot. And I thought, this is life in the kingdom, you know? A suburban kid that went to Wheaton, sitting in a room full of homeless people on Thanksgiving Day, eating in the corner out of a, a baking pan. That's, uh, that's, the, that's the kind of vision that Isaiah had. And it's the kind of life that Jesus invited us to. So I don't know how this strikes you or how, how it hits you, but um, thank you again for the support that you guys offer to us as we do this. And I also just challenge you to find a little corner of your world where you can um, do some inviting. Okay? Let me, let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, your, your word is so challenging. I thank you for um, the, the kingdom that you established um, here and now and for, the, for its direct implication on our lives. I pray that we wouldn't be so distracted with um, our, our petty kingdoms that we forget what your kingdom is about. And I pray that you would show us, the people around us, that we could we could draw into your circle just by inviting them, uh, just by making dinner, just by having a party. And um, Lord, I pray for these people, for South Shore Baptist Church, that you would empower them to live this kind of life. In Christ's name, amen.